The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Welcome to the Big Red Bench Women in Sport Podcast. I'm your host, Jer McCarthy, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at JerMcCarthy74. On this week's show, our special guest is Munster Women's Rugby under 18 and a half interprovincial player, Ellen Boylan, who joins Wendy Keenan and I for a fascinating interview of representing her country and province. Formula One expert Sarah McKenzie reviews this past weekend's Dutch Grand Prix with Max Verstappen winning yet again, plus more heartache for Lewis Hamilton and Ferrari. AFLW expert and Aussie rules coach Mike Curran reviews the latest round of the new AFLW season 7.0 and has updates on all 22 Irish players. Echolive.ie and Echo Newspaper Chief Sub-Editor Rory Noonan reviews the latest rounds of the Cork Ladies Football Club's Senior, Intermediate and Junior Championships and we preview this weekend's upcoming matches. And Echolive.ie's Camogie columnist Linda Mellerick is also on the show to look back at the latest round of the 2022 SE Systems Cork Camogie Senior Club Championship. That's all to come on this week's Bumper Big Red Bench Women in Sport Podcast. A resident Munster women's rugby expert Wendy Keenan and I are thrilled to be joined on this week's Big Red Bench by Munster women's rugby under 18 and a half interprovincial star Ellen Boylan. The Waterford native, Carrickenshore club player, leaving search student, Munster under 18 and a half Irish sevens and full Irish under 18 international player spoke passionately about representing her club, her province and country, as well as explaining what's involved to make it at interprovincial level at such a young age. Now, it is a real pleasure here on Corks Red FM's Big Red Bench to be joined on our weekly Munster women's rugby slot as ever uh, by our resident chairperson and expert Wendy Keenan. Great to have her back. But we are joined also this week by Ellen Boylan, who is a Munster interprovincial under 18 and a half player. And there's a mouthful to start off with. But listen, it's brilliant to have you on the show with us, Ellen. You're very welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm delighted. It's a privilege. Excellent stuff. And Wendy, as ever, it's great to hear from you. Thanks very much, Joe. Delighted to be back again. Uh, firstly, Ellen, uh, thanks also to Wendy for arranging this interview. Uh, you are coming off a 47-5 to interprovincial victory for Munster over Ulster, in which uh, you got off to a great start and scored the first try. What was that whole match and that whole experience like? Oh, it was an amazing experience. Um, it was brilliant to get the win over Ulster, especially in our home ground down in Musgrave Park. Uh, we had a great crowd down there, loads of Munster people, so the atmosphere was brilliant as well. And it means so much to the girls and to the management to come out with a win because we were very disappointed last week after losing to Connacht um, up in Corinthians, up in Galway. It was a it was a sore lose now, like we like didn't perform properly and we could have done better definitely so it was brilliant now this week and uh, spirits are very high in the camp now for going into the next week against Leinster Yes, Leinster, that lovely word. Whenever you talk to a Munster rugby player, male or female, you can just see the shoulders go back a little bit. That's going to be, I would imagine, considering the talent at Leinster's disposal, an even bigger test than this past weekend. Definitely, yeah. Leinster will be the biggest test I'd say we'll face this year. Um, they're a, a strong enough side, but I think that it like we can definitely pull through if we just really work hard at training this week, bring up the intensity, and just really come together as a unit. Like we can definitely, definitely put it up to them and get the win at home in our Musgrave Park again. Excellent stuff, Wendy. For people who don't know, what's the Involvement. What's the commitment level for somebody of Ellen's age to be to even make an interprovincial squad in Munster, and what are the benefits once they are there? Then, yeah, um, I suppose. Look, they're a, they're a special group, bunch of girls, and we would have started with regional training. 
um, north, south and east and west within the province. So, you know, I mean, there's talent ID going on and bringing those girls to camps. So they, to expose a wider um, group of girls really to that level of training. So they would have been training away at regional levels before it was, I suppose, dwindled down to the 30 that have been on the summer camp. And I suppose Ellen will give us an insight into that summer camp during the summer. But they would have committed to their SNC work, their skill development work, as well as their training days, you know, be given lots of information around nutrition and healthy eating. And of course, enjoying themselves and enjoying the sport. So it's a big commitment for them throughout the summer to, to come to these three matches. And they had to look, they, if I talk about the match a little bit, you know what I mean, on Saturday, they had a wonderful start and um, they had a penalty after two minutes with Katrina Finn, who we mentioned, who's only 16, you know what I mean, slotted between the posts. Kate scores the first try there in the second minute. Then Lindsay Clark scored um, the next try and another then in the 24th. Beth Bodmer, another Tiberi girl, got in uh, before half time and that left at 35-0. But I want to mention especially the work that the, the back row did and Ellen, you were sent to that at, at 15 but they, it was a very special the performance that the back row, the back line gave in um, at the weekend um, another beautiful intercept try from the winger um, Ellie Kernan in the 44th minute and then Kate Flannery got in again in the, in the 51 minute so um, look it, it meant that there was lots of uh, game time I suppose for you know I mean, girls coming off the bench which is really really important for the development of the game and development of the squad so there is a big commitment but I do want to before we move on congratulate Ellen because um, I know we mentioned some of you know, the things that she's achieved over the summer but she also has an interprose already at sevens with the Munster this year she was involved in the under 18 cup where they came out um, on top of that over at Ennis you know played midweek she's done her leaving search she's done exceptionally well she's going to go off to college next year so she's had a very big year not only with Ireland but also with Munster but also with her club which is you know where it all starts so, um, so it's just great to see and congratulations Ellen on that Thank you, Wendy. Yeah, well done on your leaving cert. Um, and we should probably at this stage, because before we talk about uh, what it means to be a Munster Interprovincial at your age, you're from, you play for Carrick on Shore Rugby Club, correct? Correct, yeah. But that's not really a Tipperary accent I'm listening to, is it? No, it's not, no. It's a take water accent. <laughs> <laughs> so you're from the border, basically, uh, on am, the border, yeah, yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and Carrick on Shore was the rugby club that you started playing with? Yeah, it was. Uh, my family have played in Carrick on Shore. My brother played there, my sister and my dad. And then my other brother joined after me as well. So the whole family is in there playing. And not just that, you're uh, also, for Waterford, we have to mention, we can't not mention it, your Camogie um, uh, history and your Camogie, Camogie record is equally impressive. Uh, yeah, I play a lot. Of, I've played a lot of camogie since I was very young. I've played since I was six or seven, I think. Um, I've played for Waterford since I was fourteen, and I was joint captain of the minor Waterford camogie team this year as well. So it's been a busy year, anyway, to say the least. It certainly has. What is it about playing for Munster, Ellen? Somebody your age, you know, a lot of young girls might listen to this podcast and say, "Look, what is it that I have to do if I want to do what you're doing, which is get to put that Munster jersey on?" Because it's there's a huge amount of interest in women's rugby, as you know, and as we've spoken about every week here on the Big Red Bench, it's growing every every year. The demands are there's a lot of demands on you. It's clear, okay, but you love playing rugby. It's something you love doing. How much do you love putting on that Munster rugby jersey? And what are the kind of what are the kind of sacrifices you have to make to get to that point? Uh, putting on the Munster jersey like you can't even put into words you can't describe how amazing the feeling is to look down and see the Munster crest on your chest it's just unbelievable like I wouldn't like 
oh, it's amazing. So, like, it is a, such a big commitment. There's so much travel involved, and, like, you really have to, like, give up time for it and put in a lot of hard work. But to, to get the day when you pull on the Monster jersey is just second to none. Like, um, you do have to sacrifice, say, social nights and, like, time with friends sometimes because you might have to go training, you have to travel long distances, or you can't stay out late because you will match the next day or whatever. But it's worth it in the end. It all pays off. And, like, I would recommend it to anyone. And it is very difficult sometimes. Like, sometimes you don't want to put in the hard work, but it's always worth it in the end. And it's such an amazing feeling. That's that's a lovely way to describe it. I think uh, it's clear that you've got a passion for it as you have a monster hoodie top on, as you mentioned, but putting on the jersey is a lovely moment. You've also uh, featured for Ireland. You featured for Ireland, the under uh, the uh, under 18 Irish sevens team that won bronze at a rugby European uh, sevens championship in Prague. But you've also played for the Irish under 18 team in the inaugural under 18 women's six nations festival in Edinburgh. So you've been on tour mini tours uh, and on two different occasions what was that what has that experience been like because it's one thing to put on the Munster jersey but to represent Munster then to put on the Irish jersey at under 18 must be equally thrilling for you yeah it was absolutely unbelievable like you get goosebumps thinking about it even like um it's like the I think the highlight the moment that I will never forget is standing in the stadium in Edinburgh singing Ireland's call with like your arm around your teammates it was just like the hairs in the back of your neck will be raising it was unbelievable like thinking back like uh, I can't even believe that I got to do it that like I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to do that it's absolutely amazing and even to represent Munster on an Ireland level as well is another privilege like I'm so proud that I got to do it and I'm so grateful for all the coaching and management I've had all the way to get me to this place like so many people have put in so much time between club and Munster training me, giving me drills, stuff to do in the gym, nutrition information. Like the work that goes in behind the scenes is absolutely amazing. And I'm so thankful for it as well. It's great. Wendy, isn't it just so refreshing to hear a player talking so positively about a pathway, a sport and the opportunities there Ellen is getting and her teammates both at interprovincial and international level, even at under 18 level. Isn't it just great to hear that? It, it is and, and it's infectious really do you know what I mean to see how much she's enjoying it even though like all the hard work I mean she's mentioned there you know to a young age there is a lot of sacrifices you know what I mean in relation to that I mean Ellen would have got her results last week um, you know she wasn't celebrating with her classmates I'm sure you know what I mean when they were parting away because she was preparing for her inter-pro match the weekend and she can catch up with that um, after next week's match but you know there, there are big asks of the players and I suppose when you're you know in different corners of the province too do you know what I mean there is Traveling to training, but you know there's moments. I mean, she's now part of a very special family that she got to play for Munster, so she's part of those girls, you know, joining that family. And then it was lovely to see with the Irish, you got presented with your your caps, and that was another very special moment. And it's a special moment for the families too. So let's not forget the mummies and daddies that are doing, you know, the traveling with them and and doing the washing, um, as I always mention. But um, look, it, it is wonderful, and and she is now a role model. She's a role model for all the young girls that are coming up. 
you know, underneath her, you know, not only in her club, but also within the province. Um, you know, there were girls, there were ball girls there, little minis, there were only like eight and nine watching the girls play last weekend. You have the girls that are under 14. There was lots of people brought their, their daughters to watch the match. And um, Ellen is one of those role models now. So, you know, with that comes a little bit of responsibility too. Um, you know, Ellen's going into a new chapter, um, moving to college um, and I'm thinking, Ellen, you might be moving to Dublin, um, but hopefully still playing for Munster. And, um, you know, we look forward to seeing that pathway. And it's important that we mention that pathway, Ger, because, you know, we have new appointments in the IRFU looking at those pathways to the green jersey. And I mean, if, if I know we've mentioned a couple of, of Ellen's things, but if you look at all, all the things that she has achieved, you know, club cup, Munster in uh, sevens into pros, Irish 15s, Irish um, sevens, you know, now she's, you know, she's been playing in, in the Interpros at the moment. Um, isn't it wonderful? And, and doing a wonderful leaving cert on top of it. Her parents must be just bursting with pride. I presume they are, Ellen. That's a fair point, is it? Are they bursting with pride and annoying all the neighbours and annoying yourself as well? Uh, they are happy enough, all right. Yeah, they are. <laughs> um, a lot of, I'm going to lump you in here now with the Carrick and Shore crew here. There's a lot of Tipperary influence on these monster and, and that monster panel. I presume you're well behaved. Obviously, you went to Prague and you went to Edinburgh and you haven't told us about what happens, you know, for under 18s when they're on tour and we leave that go maybe. But uh, there seems to be quite a, quite a lot of Tipperary um, influence on the monster panels. Uh, what do you put that down to? Are you seeing it at home? Are you seeing more and more girls in your area? Are you seeing more girls in Carrick and Shore? Because we're seeing it and Wendy's reporting on it. Um, you know, all the blitzes, all the summer camps, like, and certainly in the schools now as well, which is the big thing this year for young school girls that rugby's gone into the schools. It seems to be on a high, but particularly in Tipperary. Yeah, rugby, the women's rugby, especially in Tipperary, is really thriving at the moment. Like, I even know in Carrick, in my local club, um, they have to give it a try camp every summer. And there's just loads of numbers going in every year. I did it when I was starting rugby. That's how I started with the give it a try camp. And um, it's just growing every year. More young girls coming in, like trying out the rugby for the summer and like realizing it's great, it's fun, make new friends, a new environment. It's different to GAA. And I think that's really important that like it is different to GAA. It's good to have something that's not the same as everyone else. That's personally, I love that about rugby that everyone plays GAA. Everyone down the road knows everything about GAA. But rugby is different and not everybody plays it. Especially in Washford, it wouldn't be as known. And it's just great to have something different and to try and like um, integrate it into like the county and into all the young girls all around the country. And even in my primary school now, where I used to go down in Port Law, um, there was rugby in the primary school this year. Um, there was tag rugby brought in. And just introducing it to the young children is a brilliant way to really get it growing and thriving throughout the country. I don't think I could put it any better myself, Wendy. I don't think you could either. And uh, you, you've you've spoken quite a lot about it. Isn't it lovely again to hear such positivity about it? Before we finish up, I know you want to add to that, Wendy. Uh, you can also give us a mention on any of the uh, any bit, bits of news, especially on coaching, uh, that are coming up as well for Munster Women's Rugby. Yeah, like as I mentioned last week, we had a, a, a coaching session this this week for the coaches, uh, a coaching workshop, I suppose I should say, in Dolphin. And I'm, I'm delighted to say we had 29 coaches in attendance last week, 23 in Kerry. So um, look, we're, you know, I mean, the numbers are going up and up, and and that's a really important element because we've growing numbers, and the standards are being lifted. We also need to lift our standard of coaching from minis 14, 16, 18. You know what I mean? The whole way up. So it's important that these coaches do attend, and they do. So next week we're looking at. 
um, Limerick on Monday and Dungarvan on Thursday and um, then next week we're into the deadline for the registration um, to play in the leagues which start two weeks later so um, busy next week but um, all good and hopefully you know we, we'll have a win over Leinster um, Oh, yes. at the weekend and that'll be a nice finish for the Interpros for the girls It absolutely will never a bad time to beat Leinster at any level uh, as you well know Ellen and we'll give the final word to you um, obviously look your career is going fantastically well at the moment life is changing obviously there's more important things off the field that are happening we're delighted for you on those as well but you're looking forward to that Leinster game and what might come as well in an Irish jersey hopefully in the years ahead Hopefully, yeah. Um, I plan to definitely stay playing rugby anyway. Um, hopefully, the TAO is coming out on Thursday. So if I get if I get my course in Dublin, I'll move off to Dublin. And the plan is to play with Blackrock because my sister plays up in Blackrock as well. So it would be great to get the two of us to play together. It would be a great experience. It certainly would. Look, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to Ellen Boyle and, uh, as, as good an endorsement and positive uh, reinforcement of why young girls should play rugby as we've heard on this podcast since we started and as ever a big thank you to Wendy Keenan for arranging the interview and obviously bringing us week after week all the latest news on the Munster women's interprovincial scene but for now to you Wendy and to you Ellen and from everybody here on the Big Red Bench thank you so much for your time and best of luck uh, Ellen and what's to come in the coming, we- coming weeks Thank you very Thanks, much Jared. The Big Red Bench Saturday and Sunday from 6pm Parks Red FM resident Formula 1 expert Sarah McKenzie is back for another weekly segment reviewing all the latest F1 news We have a full review of the Dutch Grand Prix, Max Verstappen winning in front of his home fans despite numerous challengers, and why that crow-pleasing result looks to have put Verstappen out of reach for this year's World Drivers' Championship. Also, why Mercedes gambled on strategy and settled for one driver on the podium rather than two, George Russell taking P2 while a furious Lewis Hamilton had to settle for P4. And why yet again, Ferrari only managed to scrape a third-place finish thanks to another pit-stop gaffe, this time involving Carlos Sainz. It's that time of the week again here on the Big Red Bench where we focus on Formula 1, the season now firmly uh, into the final stretch, so to speak, of uh, what's already been a very dramatic season. But at the top of the leaderboard, Max Verstappen reigned supreme. And this past weekend, of course, it was his home Grand Prix, uh, the Dutch Grand Prix, um, and a big one for him, big one for Red Bull. Lots of talking points coming out of it, so there's only one person to talk to, and that's our resident. Uh, Red FM Formula One expert. That's Sarah McKenzie. Sarah, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for uh, for having me back as always to, to chat about the F1. Yes, I do enjoy these chats. Maybe in, not in the way you you're laughing already because you know we're, we're, we'll be talking about one of my favourite subjects, sporting subjects this year, the Ferrari Circus that is in F1. But before that, let's talk about the professionals. Max Verstappen winning in front of his home fans despite a lot of challenges and a very good challenge from uh, Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes and yeah, a bit of a challenge from Ferrari until the end. Um, but once again, showing his true colours and showing what, it, what he's a champion in waiting now at this stage. 100%. It was almost over before it began on Friday during FP1 he stopped about 10 minutes into the session there was smoke coming out of his car and the whole sort of the whole place was basically full of Max Verstappen fans obviously and they were just sort of silent in the grandstand as his car was recovered so it was kind of awesome to see him go from that and you know fixing that issue to actually winning it was it was a pretty impressive kind of story arc over the course of the weekend it 
It was, um, but once again, I think the Red Bull, um, as good as Mercedes was, and, and, and the upgrades clearly are working bit by bit, and we'll talk about Lewis in a minute, but you know, every time somebody seems to get close to Max, he just finds, pardon the pun, that extra gear. And I think, again, the big, thing, the big difference with him this year, do you see that he's just that bit more controlled? I mean, last year we went down to the last race, last corner, you know, mm-hmm. he had the drive to survive drama, and I think he was a bit erratic at times. But this year, he does look like a champion in waiting, and I think he's just that that bit more controlled and that's going to that stood to him already it's going to stand to him now in the remaining races definitely and I think going forward it will stand to him as well you know as as he said chaotic was definitely the word of the whole year of his first championship and then this year has obviously been completely different I think he learned very different lessons from both and he's obviously still so young so you know we can expect him to be around for a long time and I think having those contrasting experiences you know can only be a good thing for him going forward certainly can and uh, you know the thing with Red Bull is they're in control they can see the finish line they, they, they just need to do the bare minimum now to get over the line um, one of the things was like the crowd pleasing aspect of it the, 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 the just the the, the optics, I think you'd agree with me. Mm. The Dutch flag right down the whole length of the stand on, on the on the um, on the start finish straight was just superb, and obviously the orange flares a bit of trouble with those as well at one point. But like it's just like the the, the whole continent in Europe, uh, all the Dutch people living around Europe are so much behind him. And he had his dad. Did he have his dad's the colours of his dad's helmet on, or did yeah. he actually have his dad's helmet on? Yeah, I, I don't know actually if it was the exact helmet. As far as I could tell, it was a sort of replica of of the helmet. But he he did actually mention that afterwards, and like he's kind of quite emotional about it, which is good to see because I think he and his dad have a sort of similar relationship to that of Lewis and Anthony Hamilton at the beginning of Lewis's career. I think there's there may be more to come there, but for the moment, it's obviously very positive, and you know it can only be amazing to see your kid kind of. So even surpassing the the legacy mm. you created in a sport is is obviously massive for them. Yeah, well, Jas Verstappen, from all my years watching him, spent more time in the barricades than he did on the track, and that's being kind. I'm sorry, no Verstappen fans. But so, thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, much like Alfie Ingehalen's son at Manchester City in the Premier League at the moment, uh, he's doing far better than he ever did. And I think, uh, luckily, Max hasn't uh, hasn't inherited the, his pension for crashing. But look, we're looking at the world champion, as far as I'm concerned. The big question is next year. Like, you know, we'll, we'll get to that. How, how close things will be? Mercedes, big gamble and strategy. Um, you know, you had to settle for one driver on the podium. Um, the tyre choices here, Sarah, can you talk us through that? And before we talk about Lewis Hamilton, let's talk about George Russell because again, mm. steady, steady, steady and got the car home. Absolutely, yep. And equaling his former best uh, results with a P2. And look, it was thoroughly deserved. He was very quick the whole weekend, really impressive. And there were only a couple of hundreds between him and the fastest car most of the weekend. And I think, you know, there, there was a different tire strategy going on at Mercedes. They actually started on mediums in contrast to all of the other top teams who started on softs. There was kind of a bit of difficulty getting heat into the tires over the weekend due to the weather being quite overcast. But I suppose the, the drama that came was after the safety car that was brought up by Valtteri Bottas stopping on track where it looked like the Mercedes were going to potentially come home with, if not a one-two, I think that's probably a bit too ambitious, but certainly with two cars on the podium. And it looked like they were both going to stay out on mediums. And they allowed George Russell to come in for softs. And ultimately, Lewis Hamilton was not able to hold off Max Verstappen. And 
he ended up in P4 with George in P2 and it did obviously ruffle some feathers but I I don't think I think it was a bit spur at the moment judging by the team radio that went on between George and, and his his engineer I don't think it was the plan originally they looked to both stay out and look George Russell is the better performer at the moment in that team and at the end of the day you kind of have to prioritise that to a certain extent it obviously just wasn't the nicest experience for Lewis I suppose nor was the expletives coming out of his mouth back no. to poor old Toto Wolf sitting there sheepishly uh, pardon the pun in the back in the back in the pits um I do understand Hamilton's anger, but I had to laugh when he crossed the finish line and, you know, they came on and said, uh, you could hear the radio, Toto and his engineer saying, okay, you know, we made a mess. Don't say anything, Lewis. Just get back and we'll talk when we get back to the pits. That was the thing from Toto. I was like, don't upset the, don't upset the sponsors. <laughs> and of course, Lewis, like all great champions, says, oh, the mechanics were brilliant today. Like they were fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, corporate, corporate speak. I'm glad to hear him. Uh, get angry, Sarah, to be quite honest mm. with you, because he's every right to it. That race was his to win. I mean, if they brought him in ahead of Russell, put on the, the correct tires like Russell showed, he'd, mm. he'd have won the race. So I think, you know, uh, I'm having a laugh at your expense because I know you're a big fan, but like, it's, it's like, how many times this year have we seen, not just with Ferrari, but other teams making so many poor decisions and all the time Red Bull stays steady, they stay, you know, ahead of the pack, because I wonder you know, with the right strategies in other races as well, entire choices with Mercedes, not just this one, they could and should probably be a lot closer. Potentially. I think, it, like you mentioned earlier, it's been a really slow crawl to progress for them. And I think that this, you know, each weekend we kind of see them getting closer and closer. They seem to be very confident now that between now and the end of the year, they will manage to win a race. And I would agree with that. I just don't know which driver it's going to be. Um mm. It's it's interesting. I think for me, the concern was that, you know, Mercedes have been at the top of their game for the last eight years. And the moment they were back near the top, they sort of had a mild panic. Um, and then it's the opposite with Ferrari, where they've been, you know, obviously down in the doldrums for so long and then suddenly are catapulted into success and also can't deal with it. So I think that's kind of, that's a really interesting sort of phenomenon that's going on there. I think it, look, it is a blip for Mercedes. They haven't it's not a huge error and it, it won't kind of ruin the team overnight, but it was definitely very, very disappointing for anyone that was uh, rooting for car number 44 yesterday. Uh, last point on Mercedes and I leave you alone then. Um, final race of the season. So Verstappen's already champion. 1-2. Mm. Russell is leading Hamilton coming down into the final laps. Russell is instructed to pull over so Hamilton can get the record of winning one race every year. Is that going to happen? Will Russell do that? Uh, oh, I genuinely don't, I don't know. I think, and I hate to be on the fence normally with these things. I'm very kind of yes or no, but I think the decision for him there is like short term glory versus am I about to mess up my reputation with this team that I hope mm. to spend the next X number of years with. Mm. I think if he's a smart boy, which I think he is, he would move, but he's also a very aggressive competitor. And they almost came together even yesterday when Russell was passing right. Hamilton. So that is, that is what's holding me back from saying that he would do it. Also, he's above Hamilton in the championship. <laughs> so look, he has, you know, he has every right to, 
to keep pushing until the very end as well. That's a very good corporate answer. We'll accept it and we'll move on. I, lo- I love putting you <laughs> on the spot. Um, we have to talk about Ferrari. I don't want to, but we have to. Can you explain to the listeners how a Formula One team with absolute millions behind them, um, huge sponsorship, top, you know, technology beyond most cars, uh, pit crews, you know, that have been trained continually, uh, continuously throughout their careers can drop a bloody gun and let it on the ground and then decide, you know what, we haven't made it really, we haven't really fecked up too much today, let's, let's get science in there and make a mess of the pit stop. Am I being over dramatic here, Sarah? But is it is it too much to ask for competence at that level? You know, that, that like it seems to have seeped from the, from the pit crew to mm. the drivers and not necessarily to the drivers, but it's affected their confidence and now it seems to be affecting the, the pit crew's confidence. I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, we do very rarely see these mistakes. You know, these these guys are trained to the absolute pinnacle. You know, they're going for the fastest stop, never mind a clean stop. That is, you know, it's the speed even that they're kind of gone down to at this point. I was shocked. I think everyone was shocked. You know, to first of all not have one tire ready. You know, you have to have four tires. There is no option of of having three on the car. Um, and then, as you say, to to dangerously leave the wheel gun just languishing on the track, which Sergio Perez did then drive over. I think it's just, they looked amateur in yes. that moment. And I think it's just, it's really, really unfortunate. You know, this just keeps compounding. And I said it yesterday watching the race, you know, when science came back in for his next stop after that, he's got to be nervous coming into mm. that pit. Mm. He's not feeling confident. You know, he, he will say to the press, I full faith in my team, but there's no way that you're not worried that somebody out of your control is going to mess something up at this point. Very good answer. And on the button, as always, Sarah, I just wish we'd have one week where we weren't talking about Ferrari incompetence, but I don't <laughs> think that's going to happen. Our final point this week is the saga that is Oscar Piastri, which you've followed for us since uh, his outspoken outburst, to put it mildly. Mm-hmm. We have uh, we have, we have light at the end of the tunnel. We do, yes. So the CRB announced just before FB2 um, on Friday that Piastri will in fact drive for McLaren for the two, 2023 and 2024 seasons. So they ruled essentially that his contract with McLaren was the only valid contract on the table and Alpine sort of went away with their tails between their legs. They accepted the decision immediately and sort of had already, it seems, cut ties with him. So it now looks like they're full fully after Pierre Gasly and I think that's almost a done deal so definitely still a lot of pieces moving around in the the paddock but at least the the Piastri drama has finally ended or has it not has it has it has we, we've covered it <laughs> I don't think we've covered it anymore uh, but yeah that's that's a good summation yet again um, so that's the the Dutch Grand Prix in the record books a quick check of the driver standings because uh, uh, I gave kind of a very abrupt one last week but Max Verstappen is way out in front 310 points 10 wins and 12 podiums ahead of Charles Leclerc for Ferrari on 201 and Sergio Perez on 201 points as well then George Russell in that Mercedes 188 no wins but 6 podiums Carlos Sainz Jr then in the Ferrari 1 win and 7 podiums on 170 and in the Constructors Red Bull about to win that title as well on a 511 points on the back of 12 wins but second and th- second place getting very interesting Ferrari on 376 Mercedes on 346 followed by Alpine and McLaren who are 24 points behind Alpine and they'll want to turn that around before the end of the season this coming weekend the Autodromo Nazionale in Monza hosts the Italian GP and that should be one to savour um, if it's half as entertaining on and off the track as the Dutch one has been uh, with, with the gaffes 
that we can expect from Ferrari, I'm sure we'll be hearing all about it. Uh, as ever, uh, Sarah McKenzie, thank you for your time and your expertise. Where can people find you on social media and what have you got coming up in the next week or two? Yeah, so if you search Sarah McKenzie F1 on YouTube, you can find me there. And I'm also on Twitter at MacTweets underscore and on Instagram, MacGram underscore. And I'll have a new video out this week as well uh, if people want to check that out. Excellent stuff. We'll talk to you next week with a full debrief on the Italian GP. Once again, Sarah, thanks for your time here on The Big Red Bench. Thanks, sir. Miss the show? Grab The Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. AFLW expert and Aussie rules coach Mike Curran is back on the big red bench to review the second round of games from the exciting new AFLW season 7.0. Mike and I run through each of the past weekend's games, analyse how all the Irish players fared and predict the outcome of some of next week's matchups. We'll also have the latest AFLW Ireland Irish Player of the Year season standings following the round two games. Round two of the AFLW season 7.0 is in the books and there's only one man to go to to get the inside track on the results, what it all means and how the Irish players fared. And that is AFLW Ireland's Mike Coran. Mike, you're very welcome back to the Big Red Bench. How are you? Great, Jerry. Thanks a minute. We're into round two before we even thought about it. We spent so long talking about the preseason and everything that was coming. Now it's here. It's going at 100 miles an hour. So we'll do likewise and we'll dive in because round two began on Friday night with huge Irish interest in this massive Melbourne derby. But it was the D's who edged the result by two points following a cracker at the MCG with Kangaroos. This season, of course, Irish demons are Sinead Goldrick and Blaheen Macken and the Irish Kangaroos are Vicky Wall and Eric O'Shea. But 26-24, cracking game to kick off the weekend, Mike. It was the cracker indeed, Jared. What a game we had at the MCG, as you mentioned there. So great to see the players getting a chance to soak up the atmosphere at the most famous stadium in Australia. And what a game it was. We expected nothing less. The average winning margin in all the games these two teams have ever played in AFLW has been 6.5 points and never has a game been won by more than 10 points. So we knew it was going to be close. And that it was, as you said, two points in it in the end. It couldn't have been tighter. And in fairness, two goals in two minutes from Demons captain Daisy Pierce was probably the key moment in the game. Um, you mentioned the Irish players there. None of the Irish demons featured uh, this time around. Sinead Goldrick is still injured and we wait Blaine Mackin's debut, but it surely is eminent. She was named as an emergency for the second week in a row. And I have a feeling um, across the next round or two, we'll probably see her in action. But for the North Melbourne Kangaroos, what a game it was for our two Irish stars there, Eric O'Shea and Vicky Wall. The AFLwomens.com stated that they looked like they were made to play AFLW and they certainly are. You couldn't believe it's only their second game. Eric O'Shea was immense throughout. She was all over the MCG, absolutely brilliant. We highlighted a 45-second segment on our social media there during the week where Erica actually took a mark in the right half-back position, played the ball forward. Then there was an involvement from Vicky Wall. The ball spilled to the other side of the ground and it was collected again by Eric O'Shea at right half-forward. So she literally went to two opposite corners of the ground in the space of 45 seconds, gathered two possessions. Unbelievably brilliant from her. She's working to her strengths of speed. Uh, 11 disposals on the night and three marks, which is very impressive. She's proving very good now at marks and intercept marks there on the halfback flank. And we mentioned Vicky there. One play in particular sum- summarised, I suppose, her contribution to the game. A real power play, as we as we refer to it, and we've put that clip up as well. She literally ripped the ball from her opponent's hands, turned and beat about four Melbourne defenders and got the ball into the forward line. So brilliant from both the North Melbourne players. They didn't get the win on the night, as you say. Uh, it was Melbourne who edged it, but um, North will be very happy with their, with their display. 
Indeed, they should be. Yeah, uh, AFLW Ireland on Twitter and Instagram. You'll find those clips and lots of lots, lots more. But uh, I indeed enjoy those clips of, of Erica and Vicky in action. It's great to see them settling so quickly. Hopefully, that win is uh, that next win is coming soon. On to Saturday, Richmond Tigers uh, losing by nine points to the Adelaide Crows. They are Irish Crows on that roster for this coming season. Eilish Cancel and Neve Kelly. Richmond are zero two, but it was a final quarter surge by the Adelaide Crows that had to, uh, had them win this one, Mike. It was. They definitely didn't have it their own way. You know, the Crows needed this to kickstart their season after that grand final rematch lost to Melbourne in round one, as we talked about last week. And they were made to earn every single bit of this win. They actually just got over the line in the fourth quarter. Uh, they were behind for most of the game, but they got up for a nine-point win. Uh, Richmond dominated almost every aspect of the game, which is worrying for the Crows, but a, a heartbreaking loss for them. But it's points on the board that matter, and Adelaide have that win. Uh, there was no Irish involvement on the night this time around. Neve Kelly not making selection this weekend and there was some injury news for Ailish Constantine earlier in the week who actually had a minor hamstring tear at training on Monday night after last weekend so she's going to be out for about another two weeks I think is the prognosis on that uh, but hopefully we'll see Ailish and indeed Neve um, back in action soon Absolutely, injuries very much to the fore and a lot of the coverage coming out of round two and unfortunately the Western Bulldogs 28-9 victory over Port Adelaide, Port of course making their debut at their new home venue um, on, at the Alberton Oval uh, unfortunately Mike this game will be remembered for just an absolute horror leg injury suffered by Brittany Gutkent it was, and it's the main talking point as I shared there, and very unfortunate. She, Brittany has suffered a double leg break. The game was oh. stopped for over 31 minutes. Horrific. In fairness, a very similar injury to the one that Cora Staunton suffered a few years ago. So hopefully we do see Brittany back in action uh, like Cora returned, but it will take some time, and uh, and that had an impact on everyone at the game. And I suppose just to just to show that it is more than a game, we saw afterwards that um, Port Captain Aaron Phillips actually visited Brittany in the hospital the following day, but um, in terms of the game itself while that overshadows it obviously it's a win for the Bulldogs they travelled to a sold out Alberton Oval for Port Adelaide's first ever home game but they crashed the Port party with a 19 point win as you said there and they've gone two from two um, Bulldogs will host Fremantle next weekend at Icon Park and Port Adelaide also play at Icon Park against Carlton but a good win for the Bulldogs Indeed it is. Um, hopefully that uh, horrific injury, and I wouldn't recommend anyone to go and find it. Of course, everyone will, but uh, it was a horrible, horrible injury, but hopefully uh, Brittany will make a full recovery. I'm sure she will. Um, we mentioned teams that have won twice. The, the Cats uh, certainly are, are looking very, very strong. They've only conceded one goal in two games, Mike, but they held Fre- Fremantle Dockers to the lowest ever score in AFLW history, 27-1. Now, we have to, there's mitigating circumstances here. There was very, very difficult conditions, but it's still not something that I would imagine Fremantle would want on their history books. Absolutely not. What a result this was. I think we all expected and predicted a bit of a bounce back from the Dockers after their big loss to the Lions in round one, but instead we saw them end up with the lowest score in AFLW history as you said there, a solitary point and that only came very late in the final quarter. They almost had, had no score at all. So they'll not be happy to, to have that accolade after the weekend. Geelong are hugely impressive. They're showing great defensive qualities, as you've said. Just the one goal conceded across the two games. The Dockers started well. They dominated territory in the first quarter, but just couldn't get a chance on goal. And from then on, the Cats flipped the momentum and were very much effective through the centre corridor. They played numbers at the ball. They overwhelmed a more structured approach from Fremantle. A brilliant win from Geelong. That's two wins on the trot for them now. A great start to the season. Fremantle now must be desperate for a win as they head head to the Bulldogs next weekend. Uh, 
three Irish players on, on show, Anya Tai in fairness for the Dockers was brilliant again. She was one of their best in ground. Without her, things would likely have even been worse. Uh, she had 11 disposals, five marks across the game. Also featuring was Amy Mulholland North Lally for their second games, but unfortunately they still are in search of their first win. Yeah, it's a contrasting fortune to put it mildly. Seeing Geelong do so well at the start of the season is is refreshing, but free mantle down at the very bottom of the ladder and play 18th. And as you said, the Bulldogs to come, it's not going to get any easier for them. I shouldn't even be laughing, but look, they can only go one way after this. On to Sunday, um, and a big game as well here. Another team going very well, and that's the Collingwood Magpies. They recovered from a slow start to beat the Sydney Swans 45-14. And of course, the Irish Collingwood for this season, Sarah Rowe and Ashley Sheridan. Yeah, there was a massive round on Sunday. We had five games across Sunday and Collingwood and Swans kicked off. The more experienced Magpies dominated the Swans from quarter time on, uh, despite the Swans actually leading at quarter time, but they pulled away for a 31-point victory. Uh, it's an unbeaten start from Collingwood. They'll be delighted with that. Two wins from two. One of the stories of the game was Collingwood player Jordan Memory, who scored her third and or 13th and 14th goal in a career that has spanned all seven seasons. So listen to this. She has never kicked behind. So it's a long <laughs> Longest behind less goal streak. That's a bit of a mouthful in not just AFLW but AFL history. So wow. fantastic record for for her. Um, but as you mentioned, the Irish Magpies there. Sarah Rowe was back for her first game of the season. She was busy and brilliant as always. Fourteen disposals on the night. But again, it was Ashling Sheridan up front who epitomises Collingwood's forward pressure style of play. Uh, she had ten disposals, but listen to this stat: ten tackles from yeah. a forward. So that's unbelievable, and that's the way Collingwood play. They work off this forward pressure suffocating their teams and it's working a treat so far so uh, a brilliant win for the two Irish players yeah delighted for them and as you said like that all action like anytime you see a clip of Collingwood it's something something's happening there's either a couple of tackles in a couple of seconds or there's scores they, that, that, that approach is certainly uh, reaping benefits from the early part of the season on to an absolute cracker between the Essendon Bombers and the Carlton Blues uh, probably I think my opinion anyway you might can correct me this probably the thriller of the season so far but very very close to being a huge upset here the Blues um, uh, or, uh, the Blues sorry winning it by a point 32-31 of course this season on Essendon and roster from Ireland, Joanne Doonan and Megan Ryan. Yeah, a thrilling game for sure at EGU Stadium. Just one point in it in the end. You wouldn't have thought that was going to be the finish we had. The Bombers were 21 points behind at the end of the third quarter. Looked like they were done and dusted, but they surged in the final quarter, kicking the only three goals of that quarter but the Blues just held out by a single point. You mentioned Joanne Doonan. She was the only Irish player in action on the night but she had two behinds. She had the last two kicks of the game. Her first kick hit the post, so that's inches away from a goal, which equates to a behind or one point. And then she had a second kick with 35 seconds left in the game that always went for behind. So either of those two kicks were just a whisker away for winning it for the Bombers, and that would have been a brilliant win for them. On the Carlton side, Darcy Vessio kicked three goals up front, so that pushes her a little bit further in front of Cora Staunton in terms of the overall goal-scoring records. But yeah, I think... Essendon will be really proud of that performance. We saw some um, vision from the dressing room after where their coach Natalie Wood was saying that they were disappointed but proud to put up her performance like that against a team that's been there for seven years. So definitely Essendon heading in the right direction. 
They certainly are, and uh, an absolute crack if you get a chance to get online and see the highlights of that one. It's it's uh, Australian uh, rules at its absolute best. Now, as well, on Sunday, um, Orla O'Dwyer and the Brisbane Lions are just, they've started like a train and they don't look like they're going to stop. They kicked 11 goals against Frio the previous week, and this week they got 10 goals and a 67-20 win over the Giants um, on the Giants roster, of course, from Ireland this year, Cora Staunton and Breed Stack. But Orla O'Dwyer, Tipperary's finest, uh, once again shining for the Brisbane Lions, Mike. She was there. And look, would you believe it was the Giants who made the better start to this game? They had the dream start to kick the first two goals in the first quarter. They led a quarter time by 11 points. And you thought, wow, was there an upset on the cards here? But from quarter time on, the lines literally ran right. As you mentioned, kicked 10 goals. Orla O'Dwyer was actually a little bit quieter than normal. In fairness, the Giants did a very good job on, on tagging her heavily throughout the game. But she still popped up to kick one of the goals of the game uh, from 45 metres out on her left as we're getting used to see now. She was very close to another couple that were just touched through from behind. So brilliant from Orla, but brilliant from the lines throughout. They're just looking seriously impressive now, two rounds in. It was a tough day at the office for the Irish Giants. Um, Breedstack obviously um, was busy throughout. Uh, she was involved in a lot of tough physical battles, so i say she knew all about it the, the following morning. But uh, nine disposals for Breed. Cora Staunton a little bit quieter without that much ball going up to the forward line from quarter time on. Uh, she had one shot of goal at the end, but it just fell short as well. So, uh, yeah, brilliant and consistent two weeks on the trot from the lines, and they're certainly looking dangerous early. Absolutely. On to the, uh, a big win for St Kilda over the Hawks, 63-10. Uh, their best ever start in the AFLW season, um, going 2-0 for the first time um, on the roster this year for the for St Kilda. Obviously, Clara Fitzpatrick and Grace Kelly and the Irish Hawks are Aileen Gilroy and Anya McDonough, but uh, St Kilda certainly uh, carrying their early season form into this one, Mike. They definitely were. And again, look, at it. in terms of occasion, it was Hawthorne's first ever home game at Box Hill. But St. Kilda, again, were in no mood for festivities. They blitzed the Hawks in the opening quarter, four goals to zip, and held them goalless for three quarters from then on. So the game was was almost over early. But in fact, it was Aileen Gilroy, who we mentioned there, who scored Hawthorne's first ever home AFLW goal. So that's a bit of a one for the history books. But that was to be their only major for the day. Uh, as you mentioned, this is the first time St. Kilda have ever started the season with two wins. So they'll be delighted with that and hoping carrying the momentum forward and for St Kilda this week we had Clara Fitz again very steady defender 10 disposals um, 4 marks so brilliant at, at intercepting across the half back line there and in the team song afterwards in the dressing rooms we saw Grace Kelly in the circle so hopefully again it's within a round or two that we see Grace back in action uh, and likewise on the flip side for Hawthorne Anya McDonough's um, improving well from her rib injury so hopefully we see her make her debut across the next couple of weeks Excellent stuff Finally the Battle of the Coast the West Coast Eagles going down 47-14 to 14 to Gold Coast the first one of the season for Gold Coast even though they lost one of their star players Jamie Stanton to a serious injury but uh, Ashley McCarthy uh, certainly showing up once again here Mike she was she was brilliant again it was the first win of the season for Goldpost who completely shut down the Eagles keeping them goalless until the final quarter pretty much their intensity was huge they surged in numbers at the ball all day and gave a perfect response to their big round one loss to North Melbourne but it was Ash Mack uh, as you mentioned who got the pick of the two goals late on with a brilliant snap it's been awarded the Eagles play of the day again this week um, she was immense again and look she just shows that she performs whether the Eagles are winning or losing and she's now critically important to the 
them. Um, she got that goal, 12 disposals. But we mentioned tackles earlier, 11 tackles uh, yeah. from Ash McCarry. That is phenomenal work rate on a losing side. So absolutely brilliant from Ash. And um, she's started the season in ferocious form and hopefully it continues. Yes, she has. And as you said, like uh, that, that kind of performance, as we'll see now from the AFLW Ireland standings, is doing, you can see the consistency shining through already. So good honour. Um, before we finish up, let's just do a quick recap. Um, the 2002, the ladder as it stands at the moment, the Cats, St Kilda, the Lions, Collingwood, the Bulldogs and the Demons all on eight points. That's maximum points from two rounds. Kangaroos and Essendon on four, as are the Goco Suns, Adelaide Crows, Carlton and the West Coast Eagles. And the franchise is yet to get on the board. Richmond, Port Adelaide, the Giants, the Swans, the Hawks, and very surprisingly, Frio down at the very bottom. We look ahead now to round three, which begins on Friday with the Western Bulldogs hosting Fremantle. On Saturday, we've got some absolute crackers. The Crows hosting the Kangaroos. Sydney Swans taking on the Giants. Um, and that'll be uh, certainly very, very interesting. Sydney Derby. Geelong Cats hosting Collingwood. And the Gold Coast Suns travelling to Brisbane. And on Sunday, we round it off with four more games. Port Adelaide are at Carlton. St Kilda host the Demons. Richmond take on Hawthorne. And the West Coast Eagles host Essendon any game jump out at you there Mike for this week to keep an eye on yeah there's a few of them across the weekend for sure if, if you started even with Dockers and Bulldogs Dockers have to have a response yes. they've had two big losses Bulldogs have had a great start with two wins they're going to want to win that game badly the Dockers and uh, so that'd be an interesting one the backlash is coming sooner or later or else their season is going to be derailed very early after that the obvious one would be Adelaide Crows versus North Melbourne two of the better teams in the competition the Crows have been limping along North Melbourne have looked brilliant despite uh, losing to the Demons only barely at the weekend uh, potential lot of Irish action there as well with hopefully Neve Kelly Vicky Wall Eric O'Shea it's unlikely Elish Constantine will be back but that'll be uh, a big one North had a very narrow win over Adelaide in the pre-season practice match that counts for nothing but they head back to Adelaide again and then if you look at some of the I suppose the derbies will be interesting the Giants versus Sydney first ever derby up, up in Sydney the Giants will really be looking for a win there as well uh, they'll be expecting a win uh, but Sydney Swans will be in no mood just to roll over so that should be a cracker with, with the local rivalry there and then I suppose the last one I'd look at would probably be West Coast Eagles versus mm. the Essendon Bombers yeah. you've got Ash Max versus Joanne Doonan both of these players were housemates back in 2020 <laughs> when they were both in different clubs in Melbourne Ash Max was at Bulldogs Joanne Doonan was at Carlton now they're playing much better in two different clubs and they're on opposite sides so that's a little subtext to that story but again uh, both of those teams would love a win in that game so that, so that should be a cracker yes as ever lots and lots to look forward to and we'll recap all of those games and how the Irish players uh, got on in next week's Big Red Bench podcast but before we finish the AFLW Ireland Irish Player of the Year standings um, after round two, round two Mike have Ashley McCarthy on top with 150 points showing her consistency there and she's ahead of Ani Tighe Ashley Sheridan Orlo Dwyer Vicky Wall and Aileen Gilroy but good, looking good for Ashley. Oh yeah, look at it. It's a perfect start. Two weeks in a row, she was the, the player of the round for round one and round two. So she's obviously straight to the top of the overall standings. Um, Anya Tai coming in, in second place. Two brilliant starts for her despite um, the Dockers not picking up a win yet. And we mentioned how things would be a lot worse if she wasn't involved. Ashling Sheridan's consistency has her up in third place at the minute on 110 points overall. Orla Dwyer is there and she's going to be there about. So obviously 
brilliant to see Vicky Wall in the top six at the minute, just two games in, but already showing uh, brilliant um, glimpses of, of what she can do with her power and speed. And Aileen Gilroy is starting to find her feet at, at Hawthorne and proving a valuable resource for them as well. So yeah, a very interesting top six, top six but it's going to chop and change, I feel, as the weeks go on, uh, but an exciting to, to watch how all the Irish players perform. Indeed it is. And if you want to keep track of that and all things AFLW, AFLW underscore Ireland on Twitter and on Instagram are the places to go to follow for daily updates from Mike on how all the Irish players are faring and all the latest news from AFLW. Mike, as ever, round two is in the books. Round three is around the corner. We'll do it all again next week. Thanks, Jerry. Looking forward to it. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. EchoLive.ie and Echo Newspaper Chief Sub-Editor Rory Noonan join me on this week's Big Red Bench to discuss the latest round of the Cork LGFA Senior Championships, including Kinsale overcoming Valley Rovers, Aerog defeating Fermoy, Bright Rovers getting the better of St. Fals, and Ahada edging Clonakilty. All those games coming from the Cork LGFA Senior Championship. Rory and I also analyse the latest results and talk about the standout players from the 2022 Intermediate County Championship. And we finish with a recap of the current Junior A, B and C Championship standings. We are joined on the Big Red Bench this week once again by the Chief Sub-Editor of EchoLive.ie and Echo, the Echo Newspaper, Rory Noonan. Rory, you're very welcome back to the bench. How are you? Thanks, John. Great to be back. Uh, another busy, hectic, crazy weekend across the county in the Cork LGFA. We'll start, though, at the very top in the Senior Championship in Group 1 because you got to take in a very high-scoring game between Formoy and Aeroog this past weekend. Yeah, it was, it was a very good game. Um, Aerog won well in the end, thirteen to two eight. But I suppose, in in fairness to 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 for my like, you know, I mean, they they really did put it up to them for long periods of the match, and it was a kind of um, Aerog got three goals in five minutes, which really was was more the killer blow for for my. But competitive, my were competitive for a lot of this game, and and Desire can take an awful lot from it, and and a lot of credit from it. But I suppose when you have people like Eva Scally and Laura Cleary who hit 5-5 five, five between them, you know, you're, you're always going to be up against them coming into those, these games. Absolutely. Um, you've seen, uh, Morabi, you've seen Aeroog, they do look the farm teams of the county. Um, there's nothing that you would have seen yet to deter you from yours and my view that these two are going to end up in the final. No, no, not no, not, not, not so far anyway. Um, you know, um, they're in the same group as we, we both know, so they meet on, on, on Sunday week. I'm sure there'll be a big crowd at that one. It'll be an interesting game, but we won't go that far ahead at this point because they matches this weekend first. But really, um, at this stage, it's, it's almost impossible to see anyone challenging them for overall honours. Um, obviously, others like Ahad and Bride would, 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 would be in the mix. But, you know, the expected final for me, county finals at this stage, is going to be more Navy against their old down the road as small as yet. Yes, and hard to argue with that, as you said, but it's still early days in the championship, but that does look the way it's going. The other game in that group one this past weekend saw Kinsale overcome Valley Rovers 4-16 to 3-7. Uh, disappointment for Valley Rovers uh, on their first year up at senior. It's three losses in a row, but by far and away their best performance thus far. So there's something to take from that. Orlefin top score for Kinsale with 1-9, Aoife Keating 2-3, Jenny Murphy 1-1, and Ella Ryan, Lorraine Coppathorn and Nicole Quinn also got on Kinsale's score sheet. Michelle O'Regan weighing in with 2-3 for Valleys, including two converted penalties. Dara Kiley, good to see her back on the score sheet. She got three points. Lucy Callan and Kate Wall as well for Valleys. But a good win for and an important win for Kinsale if they're going to force their way into the semi-final uh, bracket, Rory. They had to win and they did that. Oh, absolutely, um, and and you know that as you said, it was a good win for them. Uh, Valley's first year up have a lot of learning to do, and in terms of them, they are getting better with every game. 
but it's difficult at the top level when you come up, particularly in your first season, and you do need need all your players available. You could see the as you said the Kylies back and and scoring that to have them back now is an addition to to Valleys. But it's going to be a it's a it's a tough tough year for them. But they learn from us. They learn from us. But a Kinsale point of view, you know, they have three points. They're 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 just behind Mornaby, Airog, um. Big, week, big game for this, this weekend now again to see how they do on that one. Yeah, that's a key one really, isn't it? I know Valley Rovers are hosting Mornabi and we, everyone expects Mornabi to win that. But Kinsale uh, travelling to Ovens to take on Airog, this is a crucial game for Kinsale. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, if they have any ambitions of making that semi-final, as you, as you said, they have to be their Airog. And really, it's a little bit like, as they say, going into the Lions then for them uh, this weekend, you know, Airog are flying form. All their top players, the Cleary, Scally, Maeve Goldrick and others are all playing very, very well at the moment. So really, you know, they're up against it. But, you know, I suppose when you can go in with a, a nothing to lose attitude, sometimes things can go your way. Absolutely. We never know what's going to happen in this particular grade, as we, <laughs> we've often said though, through the years. We moved to Group 2, where this past week as well, we had a cracking game uh, in West Cork between Ahada and Clonakilty, which Ahada uh, edged 2.12 to 2.10. Hannah Looney showing up at seven points in that game. Rachel Leahy getting 1-2 and Christine Moran also getting a goal for the winners. For Clannacilty, put in a good effort. Sinead O'Donovan, she's having a really good season. She got 1-4. Ashley Maloney, 1-1. And Kira Ryan uh, with three points. Katie O'Driscoll and Schaefer Patwell also scoring for Clan. But this was a very, very important win for Ahada because not only does it keep them unbeaten at the top, but to go to Clannacilty and to keep that winning streak going, it wasn't an easy thing to do, Rory. But this Ahada team is coming together nicely this season. Absolutely, and then they, they top the group at the moment. As you just said they're they're three points clear of Bride Rovers at the stage and Clan. Um, no Clan do have a game in hand, but you know for I had a look like at this stage that you know they're going to top the group um, and come out into the semi-finals. They're going very 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 well, and I suppose as you, having the likes of Roshi Tzidan and, and Hannah Looney back has added to their squad with adding the two Leahys as well, Rachel and Sarah. So you know they have a very very good squad. They were a bit disappointed with their overall showing the championship last year, and they, and they've shown this year that they're determined to make up for that. Hannah Hannah Looney's dad, Joe, has taken over managing the team, and so far so good for him and his reign as a as manager of the side in the championship. You know, you can't be played three one three when it comes to championship. You so he'd be happy. Uh, yeah. I was just going to say, like when you consider Marie Ambrose isn't even there, and they lost Sarah Lee after the first game. There's two players to come back, and if they are fit enough to come back for the end of the championship, they're going to be a real force. Oh, absolutely, you know, and I mean, you know, when it comes to the semi-finals, you know, the, you know, if we're assuming that Mornabi and Rogue are going to come out of the other group at this stage, so whichever one they face, um, we'll be in for a, a tough afternoon when they take on Ahada. You certainly won't have any fear of facing any of the teams. So, you know, they're the one team that may may just 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 bring that little bit of surprise and and upset of what we expect to be the true finalists. They're they're quite capable of doing to be fair to them, you know. So it's going to be interesting. Um, I would expect I had at this stage to top the group, which means that they will avoid whoever tops the group on the other side. So that'd be a, that could be an interesting semi-final when it comes around. It could indeed. And the other game in that group this past weekend was a very high-scoring affair. Bride Rovers getting the better of St. Val's, 4-12 to 3-8. And one of the big headlines coming out of this one, Rory, Katie Quirk once again continuing her excellent form in club level this season, the, the Cork forward. She got 4-7 of that total. Um, and before we just talk about her, like a good a good effort from Val's and they had Laura Buttermer, Niamh McNabola, Ellen Coakley, Mairead Corkery, Liam McMahon, Maria Cotter, and Kieran McCarthy on the score sheet. Kieran, Kieran McCarthy weighing in with 2 1 there. But Katie Quirk once again proving the difference in, in a tight game, and Bride Rovers would be delighted with that result. Oh, absolutely. That was that was that was a big match for them, you know, when they um, lost 
last week. They needed to bounce back this week with a win. Um, and in fairness to them, they did so with a bit of style. Um, Katie is in flying form at, at the moment. She was excellent against Inch in their first match as well. You know, so it's amazing. Like the the, the Cork players, I suppose, that like forwards, like the like the Katie, Duran, Duran from Mornabi, Emer uh, Skelly, like for Erog, and we can keep going. Even Orla Finn, as you mentioned, there for consent, they're all showing it in the club championship this year. You know how how big a players they are and how important they are to their club sides as well as the Cork side. But you know, I mean, most likely it's going to be between Bride and, and Clan who joins ahead as the second team out of that group and there's a lot, a lot to play for there yet between those two teams. There is indeed in the next round of ga- matches in this particular group sees Ada hosting Inch Rovers and Clonakilty travelling to St. Val's. We move to the intermediate grade um, where it was another busy, busy weekend in that particular uh in that particular championship, a very always very open championship. But in Group Two, we're going to start in Group Two because Castlehaven made it back to back wins since coming up as Junior A champions, and they put up another huge score, six fifteen, in overcoming Owen Dalich, six fifteen to three seven. Neva Sullivan scoring three two, Moreira Driscoll one eight, and Shelley Daly two one, really showing up well there. And on the same afternoon, Eric Lendesmans Bui also unbeaten after two rounds. They scored one nineteen in seeing off um, in their game. Uh, Dunamore one nineteen. 119 to 14. So these two teams meet this weekend, Rory, Castlehaven and Aragland. It's obvious that these are the two coming out of this group into the semi finals, but it, the result and the outcome will tell us a lot about these two potentially meeting each other again down the line. Oh, absolutely. And, and you must give credit to the Haven, as you said, who, who've come up to this great, like, you know, and, and, and have driven on since they've come up. I met um, Orla Caroline, and she'll probably kill me for saying this. I met her there recently at, at a Rebel Oak function. I was lagging her saying, are you going to move back to the Haven now that they're moving up the grades? <laughs> And, and 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 we were having a bit of a joke about it, and she didn't she didn't rule it out or she didn't rule it in. Put it that way, like there was no comment, shall we say, on the matter, like you know. But I mean, if they got up to senior in the next year or two, and they did get some of the some of the some of the players like like the Callans and and and, and others like the Clarys even from, from you know from Airog, and I'm not saying it will happen before anyone says I am. That would make them even stronger. But in fairness to the Haven, great credit to them. It's not easy to come up with grade. We see with Valley's not you know. Unfortunately, not doing it, doing so well since they've come up. So the Haven are driving on, and you know they're they're looking good to reach the final. They certainly are. I'm glad you said all that, and not me uh, being so close down here in West Cork. <laughs> I'm sure we're going to hear about that. Um, one club we haven't really spoken about, uh, and we haven't had a chance to speak about them is the other in the other intermediate group. Rory is Glanmire. Um, and this is a, a Glanmire team with a huge amount of experience, been knocking on the door of senior for a long time. Now, they've beaten uh, Bantry Blues 115-03, and Ross Carberry subsequently beat Bantry Blues, which means Bantry Blues are now into a relegation intermediate final. But Ross and Glanmire meet each other this weekend to decide the first and second in that group and the semi-final pairings. But Glanmire will be coming out the other side of this, and they're going to be a very, very dangerous prospect as well for whoever, for Castlehaven or Aragland. Oh, absolutely, and, and I mean they went into last year's final um, against Clan, I suppose, or in in the to come up to the senior grade as favourites. Um, and to be cr- full credit to Clan, they were the by far the better team on the day. And um, I suppose from a Glanmire point of view, the fact that they've been playing in the senior league this year, they got to the, the senior league final, uh, where they were beaten by Aero Og. I suppose playing at that higher level in the league would only drive you on and gives you gives you more competitive matches probably when coming to the championship. So, um. I would expect them to, to, to come through there as the top seed and, and, and possibly go on. And maybe, you know, the way things are going, we could be looking at a Glanmire Haven. Haven. Oh. That, yeah. the road a bit, but Glanmire certainly, you know, you know, 
Yeah, going well in, in a club to keep an eye on. Now that in, that uh, the intermediate grade along with the junior A grade is always very difficult to predict. There's always a handful of clubs at the top, and it's got it's been unpredictable over the last couple of years. I've no doubt it's going to be a little bit unpredictable, perhaps for, between now and the end of the season as well. We finish up just a quick roundup on the jun- some of the top junior grades at the junior A football championship. O'Donovan Rossa edged Douglas one seven to one four down in Skibbereen on the same day. Donnies uh, got their season up and running with a one eight to not eight victory away to Navavon. That leaves uh, O'Donovan. Ross on six points, Neva Vaughan on three points, and Donny is on three points. Now Douglas, your own Douglas have only uh, it's the it, it was their first day out, and this weekend they get a chance to bounce back at home to Neva Vaughan. But uh, the two the two or three clubs up there, obviously there's going to be uh, a one off final once the round robin is finished here. O'Donovan Ross are looking good, but the second fo- place in, in or the other place in that final still very much up for grabs, Rory. Oh, absolutely, and as you said, they're like you know it's a difficult grade to predict. Uh, um, and probably will go right down to the to the wire. Um, mentioned my own club, Douglas. There, you know, they're a relatively new club. They're coming up the ranks of it. I'm not too sure whether they're good enough just yet to be to be in 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 contention. And, and they'll probably kill me for saying that. Um, <laughs> but that said, you know, they're 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 learning the ropes and they're they're getting better all the time. And they're they're picking up more and more players as they're going along. And they've got a good underage structure which they need. Um, but you know. I'm not too sure are they are they up to that level yet, but we'll see. Maybe I'm wrong, and they'll, maybe they go and prove me wrong now after saying that. Jesus, you're going to get a lot of letters this week right away you're going but uh, all good of course all good fun uh, we finish up before we get him in any more trouble with the Junior B Championship and in Group 1 no games played recently but Carrigaline still on top of maximum points after two rounds followed by Bishopstown Nemo yet to play Rockpawn and Corsi's also involved in that group in the Junior B Championship Group 2 Middleton and Drum Tariff after first round of matches lead the way Funching Gales and Watergrass Hill will still be vying for a semi-final place in that grade and finally the Junior C Championship uh, win this weekend uh, for Aaron's own a tough and a hard-fought win over St. Cullum's from West Cork, 2.13 to 3.8. That gets Aaron's own up and running on three points at the top of that particular table at the moment. Tyke McCorrick and Mallow on maximum points after two games. St. Michael, St. Cullum's and Ballinora round off that particular championship. Another action-packed weekend on the way, and we'll be back again next week here on the Big Red Bench to review everything and all the players and the scores and the permutations. But for now, to the Echo Live uh, Echo Live.ie and the Echo Newspapers Chief Sub-Editor Rory Noonan. Thanks very much for joining us once again. No problem. Thanks, sir. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. EchoLive.ie and Echo Newspaper Camogie columnist Lyndon Mellerick joins me on this week's podcast to review the latest round of the SE Systems Cork Camogie Senior Club Championships, including news of a Sarsfield win over Cladove, Shandoon proving too strong for Avondu, and St Finbar's impressing against St Catharines. Delighted to be joined here on the Big Red Bench yet again this week to do a full roundup of the SE Systems Cork Senior Camogie Club Championship with the EchoLive.ie and Echo Newspaper columnist Linda Melrick. Linda, you're very welcome back. Thank you, Joe. Good to hear from you again. It's been very busy. It's been very hectic once again in the Camogie Championships, but let's get down to business. Let's start with Group A, which comprises of Glen Rovers, Inascara, Douglas, Corsi Rovers and Killa. Yeah, um, it's all to play for in this group. Um, really, it's very hard to call it. You have four teams there sitting on four points, um, the exception being Douglas. Um, worrying for Glen Rovers is that their three challengers, which would be Corsi's Killer and Inascara, uh, sorry, yeah, have two games behind them, whereas the Glen have three. So the Glen would have been hugely disappointed to draw with Killer last Saturday after leading by four into additional time. Um, so they play courses on Saturday. Courses lead the Glen um, on a scoring average of plus 22 at the moment. 
um, with a game in hand. So they're in a strong position at the moment. The fact that in Ascara, sorry, the fact that again and Killitru did in Ascara and Corsi did favour uh, because uh, they drew as well. That threw it wide open again. So there were a few, you know, it's that one really, it's as close as you can get. And there are really a few interesting games here over the next couple of weekends. Uh, so no one is secure in that group yet. Uh, in the Scar and Kill is another great one to go and watch if, 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 if you're hanging around. That's on, uh, that's on this Saturday. Is it consistency, Linda, here that's missing? Is it just players, the club teams are missing players for key games? No, I think they're, they're all pretty consistent. Um, obviously, you had Lauren Cannon missing for the Glen. You had um, uh, Katie O'Mani missing for Inascara. I'm not sure she's back at this point. Um, Horses were missing in the Collins the last day. And Killer, did Killer have a few injuries? Not that I recall. But it's just a very tight group, and a couple of draws have, have really opened it up, you know. Yeah, it sounds like that, and that's I suppose that's good news for the neutral, and not so much for the managers of those clubs uh, heading into the final yeah. rounds of group games. But it does make it exciting, and when it's that close, as you mentioned, like there's some serious talent in all of those teams. Um, of course, your overs, and with the games in hand that you've mentioned as well, um, that's going to be a very interesting conclusion to a very tight group. Let's move on to Group B, which comprises of Father O'Neill's, Sarsfields, Clodagh, Newstone, and Ballygarvan. Yeah. Uh Clodagh remain top at the moment on uh, six points, tied with Stars on, on six points, but they've a scoring average of plus one. Uh, Clodagh have. So, but Stars have two games left um, and they'd be expecting to get over news to Sauron and Ballygarvin, uh, whereas Clodagh have just one game left. Now, that game was on last night, actually, Stars and Clodagh, and Clodagh gave Stars a right challenge, but uh, they just didn't have the scoring power up front that Stars have. And Sarah's capitalised more on the possession that they had. But out the field, it was a real battle. And the, you know, the elements, the wind was horrendous. And we got maybe three strong downpours of rain during it. But in fairness to both teams, they really gave it everything. But Sarah's came out, um, Lucy Allen got two goals there. Two goals that, uh, uh could they could, they could have prevented. But either, but she got them. And, um, unfortunately then she had to go off injured. She fell. The slippery conditions, there was a, I won't say slight attack, I think it just slipped and Lucy mm. fell over the top of them and landed on her shoulder. So hopefully she'll be okay because um, certainly stars need her. So, um, you know, uh, Father Needs had a great win over Ballygarvin, and whereas Ballygarvin would have been slight favourites there. But that defeat helps Clutter's case, I think. And a deciding game in that group, I think, will be between Ballygarvin and Clutter, which is on Saturday. Sorry, I think it's Sunday. Uh, scoring difference could over plus 21. So if Ballygarvin beat Cadove narrowly and are in turn beaten by Stars, Cadove will still finish in second place on scoring difference. And that would be crucial there. I can't see any team from this group getting a quarter final spot as the best of the third place from the group. Mm. It's just too tight a group. And I think, um, so I, I think that third place team could possibly come from Group A. So yeah, another good tight group there um, with possibly Stars and Cadove in a good position at the moment. But as I say, Cadove and Ballygarvin would be a would be a uh, would be a key one. But I think Cadove still at the edge on scoring difference there. Excellent, lot to look forward to. So in that match and uh, their concluding matches in this weekend in Group B, we move on to Group C, which contains the Bars, Airog, Enniskeen, Saint Catharines, and Ballincollig. Yeah, look, the Bars have powered ahead. There are three wins from three, and they're plus. Uh, 42 on second place in the scheme. Um, 
they got a tough test against St. Catharines, who are without key player for Nolan Neville. But to be fair, the conditions again were very uh, tough there. And that was a game of two halves, with the Bars getting 1-11 in the opening half with that wind. Um, whereas Catherine's just managed five points with that wind in the second half as the, game went, oh, sorry, as the Bars went defensive and obviously just had to hold on to that lead. The, the talking point there, of course, was the, the return of Jim O'Connor, who came on in the 13th minute and hit two points. So that has scared the little bit. I thought of a few pendants <laughs> for, for the remaining. Um, so, yeah, um, and the team would be happy with, with their position, uh, but they're facing uh, their little of points with Catherine um, and St. Catherine's have a game in hand. So they're all still on three points, but in four pits on scoring difference. So I think a key game here could be a Rogan and a scheme uh, to determine second place there. But then again, you have Catherine's as well. And uh, who are Catherine's playing next? I think Catherine's are playing a Rogue and Balling Colleague. So they should win those two games too. So look, you'd probably say St. Kimber's and St. Catherine's there as first and second, with a scheme and a Rogue hot on their tails and possibly in a scheme over a Rogue at this point. Interesting stuff there. Yeah, good win for Niskeen, as you said last week. And they'll be, uh, from West Cork's point of view, seeing how far they can go in the championship this year. But again, very tight and uh, may not well be decided by this weekend. We may have to go to the final round of matches for that. Finally, yeah. Group D, which is always one of the most interesting ones because it contains so many talented players. And that's the divisional group with Avendu, Shandoon, Carrigdown, Carberry, and Imo Kelly. Where are we with that, Linda? I think Shandoon have done enough at this point to, advance, to top the group and advance the quarterfinals. Um, even even though they have an extra game played against Car- compared to Carrie Down and McKilly and Avendu. But um, they have a plus 61 scoring average at the moment over second place, Carrie Down. Um, and one of and who actually the last remaining game is Shandun and Carrie Down. Shandun will obviously be hot favourites for that one. But even if Carrie Down did create a shock and beat Shandun um, and, and also get a victory over, over Avendu, they would finish on nine points as well as Shandun, but the scoring difference is too much at this point, I think, for any of them to be caught, uh, for Shandun to be caught. And obviously, as we know, only one team emerges here. Well, the game against Avendu last Sunday um, was poor game because, to be fair to both sets of mentors, they were massively depleted. And Avendu just had 15 players and, you know, making the 11th hour phone call to get people to talk out. And likewise, uh, Shandun and credit those players that did put on the divisional jersey throughout the day. Again, conditions were poor, um, but you know, um, it was a three eleven to five points there. Shandun won out winners, so yeah, I think Shandun have done enough. They'll obviously want to win their last game as well, to be sure. But there's, there's no one going to catch them at this point, even if they finish level on points. Um, I can't see the uh, the scoring average being caught at this point. Um, fair to say that everything st- pretty much still hangs in the balance. There's only one or two clubs, or, or, or maybe Shandun, that are more or less guaranteed going through. Is That's a good thing for the club championship. It keeps it interesting, Linda. But do we have an out-and-out favourite, or a couple of favourites even at this early stage from what you've seen? To win the county, is it? Yes. Well, I suppose, again, you Shandun, St. Finbars and Inascara at the moment are my top three. And in that order, I don't know. I think uh, it's St. Finbars and Shandun. I don't know where they meet the semi. I don't know how it works. Where they meet the semi final or final, whatever. That could be some game, I think. Um, but in the scour are never far away, so they're my top three at the moment. Not 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 particularly in that order, but they're, they're just my top three. 
keeping your cards close to the chest as always, Linda. Fair play, you're <laughs> spreading, spreading your, your predictions wide. And, but in fairness, it is fair to say that this year they would be the type of favourites that you'll be looking at. But it's great to see that there is still so much to play for, not just with a couple of rounds, with a couple of rounds to go in these group games. And that's what you want. Players will have interest and in it. It'll keep things interesting right up to when the court or the knockout stages are decided. But for now, uh, for following that recap of the latest action in the SE Systems Cork Senior Camogie Club Championships, Linda Mellerick, thanks very much for being on the Big Red Bench. You're That's it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Remember to subscribe to the Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and you can also listen online at redextra.ie. Don't forget to tune into the Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan, and guests between 6 and 7 p.m. on the radio every Saturday and Sunday. Follow the Big Red Bench across all our social media channels, as well as visiting our official website, redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM.